have a seat. <clears throat> Let's do this. Uh, I think I'm... this. Yeah. Good morning. I am uh, preaching this morning. So, uh, and I also have the privilege of um, kicking off a new series for us. Uh, we're going to start the book of Ephesians. So, Kamal was right on the money this morning. <laughs> Um, we're going we're gonna to work through the book of Ephesians for the next couple of weeks, and I have the, the privilege to, uh, to kick off um, that book for us. Um, so, it's working. Excellent. Right. So, if you turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, whoever has Bibles or at least uh, on their apps, Ephesians 1. We see that this book is written by Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the text for today. We are asking three questions today that we're going to work through in this as we tackle this book. Firstly, we see that this letter is written by Paul. So we're going to ask, who was Paul? And secondly, why did he write this letter to, to Ephesus? Why did he write this to this church? What is this letter about? And then thirdly, what does that have to do with us? <laughs> why do we have to read this? What can we get out of it today? All right. So, so starting with Paul, um, this is, this, before I start with Paul, I actually want to say that this is really appropriate, the whole, the whole letter of Ephesians. We'll get to it now, but just what Carmel shared earlier as well about unity. It is something that came up in this church for the last couple of months as well. It's something God is busy working with. He's busy restoring a unity in the greater body of Christ, not just in a local church, in the greater body of Christ. And it's so appropriate for us as a church, but I think for me personally as well, I experienced some of the things that Paul's writing about here. And it's so encouraging to read this. So that's the point. That's the place where I come from. So Paul, who was Paul? Uh, to understand Paul, we first need to understand his Jewish context, where he comes from, right? So we just went through Easter right now. And back then, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. He had his ascension. His disciples are busy now figuring out how are we going to take this forward because the Messiah has come. They're trying to evangelize and get people to understand that this Jewish Messiah that we would hope for has come. It is Jesus. We need to follow him. We need to convert people to understand, not convert to a new religion. We need to show people that this is the fulfillment of the hope of Israel, this Jesus. And we need to get people to get along to understand this is where we're going. But at the same time, not everybody believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So you have the Jewish leaders, the people who crucified him, that still, even after Jesus rose from the dead, even after his ascension, still disagreed. They're like, no, the Bible doesn't say a crucified person, crucified man who claims to be God is the Messiah. We can't do this. And they started violently persecuting the Christians, the people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. The reason for this is, it actually goes back all the way in, in their history. God made a covenant with Israel, set them apart as his holy nation. We'll see in, in Exodus, um, 
um, Moses writes this agreement between, between God and his people where he, sa- he selected them. He said, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you, Israel, shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. And you shall be my holy nation. You are set apart. I'm the God of the universe, but all the other nations have their gods, but you belong to me. Right. Stay faithful to me and I will bless you. If you've read Deuteronomy, that is basically the refrain. Stay with me and I'll bless you. Go against me and there'll be curse. There'll be, there'll be trouble. In Deuteronomy, the same thing. For you are people holy to the Lord your God. Holy means set apart. You have been selected by Yahweh your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So Israel's identity is firstly in Israel. It's like in Israel, they will be blessed. That means we don't work with other nations. It's us and God. At the same time, the community is set apart. So don't mix with the other nations. Don't, don't get involved in the Greek nations and the Gentile nations. Don't, don't like if you read a bit further in the, in the story of, um, in the Torah, in the, in the um, Pentateuch, you'll actually see that like there's very strict commands. Don't mingle with the other nations. Don't intermarry. Don't, you know, stay apart. Because Yahweh, God, wants to save the whole world through this nation. But this nation, first and foremost, needs to stay faithful to God. So that is the context. And what happens, what's the rest of the story of the, the Old Testament? They're not being faithful. Time and time again. They turn to other gods. And what happens? God says, okay, what we heard last week, the Persian kings, you can come and you can take Jerusalem. God actually commands the Persian kings to come and take Jerusalem. Other nations come and invade them. And so, you know, Israel has a history of being captive by Egypt, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. This is their history because they have been unfaithful to God. So I just want you to understand the context in which why people resisted Jesus claiming to be God. Because they believed in the Shema, our God is one. Here's a man walking around claiming to be God. This is, people are going away to other false gods here. And they wanted to resist that because they want to get free and be blessed by God. And this is now leading in a direction that goes away from God. That's why there was such a violent persecution against Christians. They want to stop this because they saw, oh, here we go again. Israel is being unfaithful to God. And that is the context in which Paul grew up. His name in the Jewish sense was Saul. That's the context in which he grew up. He was a Pharisee. He grew up with these leaders trying to rid and keep, keep the Jewish faith pure. It's us and God. Israel and God. We're set apart. Don't mix with other gods. This is us. So that's critical to understand. And that's why Paul went, you'll read this in, in Acts 9. His whole story is in Acts, starting from Acts 7 right to the end, if you want to read more about Paul. In Acts 9, we see his story where he has a mission to go to Damascus because there a community who, who believes that Jesus was the Messiah has come together. There's like a rebel group meeting at Damascus and he knows, okay, we need to wipe them out. We need to make a plan to get rid of these people because they are a threat, not just to our religion. They are a threat to our national security. We, need to, we don't understand that today because we separate culture and religion. We separate nation and, and religion. It's one and the same thing for Israel. 
we need to remember that when we, when we read this. So he's on the way to Damascus, trying to wipe these Christians out. Need to nip it in the bud. But on the way, most of you know the story, he um, meditates on, on who God is, and he's like being faithful. He's this zealous Jew wanting to follow God. And in the middle of the day, it's just like a light brighter than the sun, the sun that shines all around him, overwhelms him. He falls down. Let me read. Later on in, in Acts, he actually um, he talks about this. He actually, um, when he has to testify to himself his own story, three times in Acts, we can actually read his testimony about what happened on that road. But this one is pretty interesting. is where he has to stand before a, before a king, and he, says, and he gives this testimony. He says, In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. I'm a mission. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun at midday, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You think you are persecuting these Christians, but you are persecuting me. I am Jesus, you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles the non-Jewish people, the Greeks, the Romans. I'm delivering you from, from them. But also, I'm sending you to them. I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So just in the context of what Paul grew up with, this is earth-shattering it is a complete turn, turnaround of what he grew up understanding this Jewish God is like. Because suddenly, it's not just in Israel anymore. He had to rethink his theology. Suddenly, he realized, okay, in Christ, something has changed. And it's not just Israel that's set apart anymore for God's mission for the world. Now the rest of the world is included in this. And so I can't just go and persecute people anymore because suddenly I need to go and partner with them. This, is, this was earth-shattering for Paul. And that's why when, after he reached Damascus, he actually had to go into the wilderness for a couple of years to just get his head on straight because this was not how he read his Bible. This was not the God that he understood. He had to do serious rethink to figure out what is this mission that God is up to. And so, after this um, conversion of Paul, we see him coming back from the wilderness, and there's a new mission in his heart. He had this drive to go and wipe out these Christians, but suddenly he comes back and we see him, he's got this drive to go and evangelize, to actually go outside of Israel to the non-Jewish people, to give them a new message, to say that this God who once had us, Israel, safe, this God had opened up the gates in Christ so that everyone is now included in this message.
Everyone. There's no more Jew or Greek. Everyone is now included in this plan. And what is the plan? The plan is to save the whole world. The plan is to restore the world into the way that it was meant to be from the beginning before sin completely messed things up. Before sin created a division between us and God and between each other. Sin brought a division where we, Adam and Eve is a symbol of that, where they start mistrusting each other. Okay, I should put clothes on. I, I don't trust you anymore. And it, we just see that breakdown from generation to generation to generation. And that's where, that's the brokenness of the world, the whole creation. And God is busy restoring that. And he promised to do that through Israel, but now he has revealed himself in Christ that he's going to do that through everyone. So, on his journey, one of his journeys, we see here a map of the Mediterranean. Here on the right-hand side is Israel. And you can see the, um, the, the one circle at the bottom is where Jerusalem is. And just slightly above that is, is uh, Damascus. So it's on that road where Jesus caught Paul quite off guard. Um, and uh, he started going on missionary journeys throughout the Mediterranean. So he, you, you can actually read all of these stories in Acts, but you should be able to identify some of the, um, the letters that he wrote. For example, Corinth sitting there. Right? The Areopagus in Athens sitting there. There's a story of him at the Areopagus. But one of the, the one that we're meeting to, uh, seeing today is Ephesus. And just a few kilometers right to Ephesus is actually Colossae. So on his journeys, he actually goes to Ephesus. Now, if you think of Ephesus, Ephesus was... The modern equivalent would be something like Cape Town. It's a port city, beautiful city. They had their own goddess, Artemis, which was actually one of the seven wonders of the world, was the Temple of Artemis, which you found in, in Ephesus. Major cultural city for the Greek world. So this is, this is now modern-day Turkey, right? Good Greece and Turkey. So this is on the western coast of Turkey, this massive city, hub for culture, commerce, Ships coming in, lots of different people, huge hub, place where rich people go on holiday. It's a really nice place, but very, very different to the Jewish worldview. And we see Paul settling there for a while. The Bible actually says in Acts 19 that he settled there for two years and got involved in the local church there. Because, because even there were people that realized Jesus is actually the Messiah. And they started meeting together like we're meeting together. They started meeting together and, and trying to figure out what this is like. Just as a side, there's a brilliant book that I would definitely recommend. Um, you see the one city there is Pergamum. Um, you'll see the name Pergamum also in Revelation. Revelation 1, 2, 3, there, somewhere there, uh, where John actually writes a letter to Pergamum. Um, but there's a, a book that I can recommend to just see what early Christian life was like. It's called The Lost Letters to Pergamum. It's a fictional story. But just to have an idea of if we're trying to fellowship here and figure out what church is like, just to see in that context how utterly bizarre it was for people of different social economic settings to come and meet together to worship this God and not having the New Testament, just having the Old Testament and trying to figure out how to do this thing. Anyway, but that's by the by. So that's Ephesus. He was there for two years, also traveled a lot went to other cities, went to evangelize, showed people that this is actually a rescue mission from God for everyone. I'm not trying to convert you to the Jewish faith. I'm not even trying to convert you to be a Christian. 
I'm trying to show you that there's one true God and that true God is rescuing the whole world and you get to be a part of it. Everyone gets to be a part of it. Near the end of his life, he um, actually um, went full circle where he was once a, a Jewish leader that persecuted the Christians and so the Jewish leaders started persecuting him and they ended up capturing him, taking him through, through various trials he ended up in prison in Rome, all the way in Rome, sitting in prison there. And he's sitting there, and that is where he got some parchment, got some I don't know, writing instruments, and started writing letters to some of the churches. To Colossae, which is the letter of Colossians that we have today. To Philippians and Philippi but also to the Ephesians. So he wrote this letter to people that he knew, to a church that he was involved in, that he helped establish. Do yourself a favor and read Acts 19 and just see the chaos that he caused while he was in Ephesus and the literally riots that broke out because of him there. Do yourself a favor. So, in that context, that is Paul. What is Ephesians about? So he's writing this letter to Ephesus, to his Ephesian church, to his brothers and sisters there. What is it about? Why is he writing a letter to them? What is the purpose of this letter? Most of his other letters to Corinthians, to Thessalonians, to Philippians, you can actually, in the introduction, you can see what the purpose of the letter is. He gives a reason for writing this letter. Ephesians, he doesn't do that. In Ephesians, he just starts writing, starts with worshipping God, starts praying for the church. And he gives this amazing message and moves on. It's a short letter. It's broken up into six chapters. And fortunately for us, if we understand the structure, we can actually get an idea of what the message is. So, broken up into six chapters. And I would encourage everyone to take, a, take some time and read it this week. It's very quick. It takes 15 minutes, 20 minutes of your time. Just read it. And it's broken up into the first one to three chapters and the second four to six. So, it's essentially, first half is about the gospel story. It's about what God did. It's his message. If you want to get a, the gospel in a nutshell, read chapters one to three. Four to six is the practical outworking thereof. You can clearly see a differ difference. If you open at the end of chapter three, you'll see it ends with amen, and chapter four starts with therefore. How does this truth now flow out in this community? Very important to remember this. Because 4 to 6 is usually where you get your, your quotable Christian verses. <laughs> that is, that's the easy stuff. That is, that is where you get the armor of God. You know, that is, you know, put, up the, put on the helmet of salvation. It's a beautiful message. It's truth. That's where you get, you know, wives submit to your husbands. Which is a bit more of a, a sensitive topic. Uh, <laughs> That is where you get to be kind with one another. It's more the instructions in, in chapters 4 to 6. And it's very easy, and it has been for so long so easy, to take that without taking the first half. And then what happens? Then we get a works-based faith. Then we get instructions. Then we get, without the gospel, without a change in your heart, you have to do this to be a Christian. Wives, submit to your husbands because that's what Christians do. And that, you totally miss the message. You totally miss the why behind it. 
You totally miss the armor of God if you just read that section in isolation. It's so important. If you get chapters 1, 2, 3, if that is rooted in your heart, 4 to 6 will be an overflow. Will be something like, oh, of course that is true. Of course that is how we respond. Because of this truth that is now in my heart. It's not a, oh, now I've got new commands. I'm a Christian. I thought I was free of the law. Now I've got new commands here. No, the gospel sets you free because that is the natural outworking of it. You don't eat because you have to eat. You eat because you're hungry. Chapters 1 to 3 make you hungry. <laughs> All right. And then if we go into more detail, just, just see. I'm just giving a big overview of Ephesians here because we're going to go through it in the next couple of weeks. And um, if we um, just look at the first three verses, after the um, first three chapters, there's, in each chapter there's, uh, there's actually one verse that just repeats itself. Unfortunately, come already gave us one of those verses. Um, in Ephesians 1, we see Paul writing that Jesus is making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. What is God's plan? To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. We see a repeat of this in Ephesians 2. So then you, the Gentiles, you in Ephesus, you at Trinity Central, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And this whole unity is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. We're all in this together. In verse 3 he repeats himself and this is actually the climax of the letter where he says, the mystery, there was a mystery that was revealed now in Christ is that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people are fellow heirs, that they are members of the same body and that they are partakers, not just stand by, they are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And this was the revelation that Paul had on the road to Damascus. Remember when we read earlier in Acts 26, he said, he got this mission from God, that God said, you're going to the Gentiles so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, they may receive forgiveness and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So the main point is that God has an active plan of saving the world. And the next step of that plan was Jesus. It was part of the mission. And the next step is to include the Gentiles, to include the non-Christians into this plan of saving the world. There was, I spoke about the distance between us and God. And that was the greatest division that was overcome by the cross. That's like the ultimate division between us and God. Between Gentiles especially and God. We were like, we didn't even know God. And he bridged that gap. He allows us into his community. He allows us to be in Christ. To be set apart. And therefore, we can start living that out. So he's asking the Ephesian church. And that's what you'll see in chapters 4 to 6. Let's start living as if this was true. Let's start living as if this bridge between us and God has been divided. So how about we stop making divisions between each other? Let's, let's stop trying to create little cliques of friends I get along with. Let's try and reach out to each other, exactly what you said this morning. Let's reach out, make an effort, because we are part of one body. 
it's not just the professional Christians that uh, has to do this. We're part of one body. We're working together. We have different roles that we can play in this body. And that is exactly what is also true today. That whoever whoever trusts in Jesus of us today, and that's the same message that we have today and the message that we get from Ephesians. Whoever trusts in Jesus, whoever trusts that he died, that he rose again, and that he bridged that gap between us and God, we are now part of Israel. We are now part of this new creation that God is busy with. And we are now set apart to be part of the plan of redeeming the whole world. And so it fundamentally changes our identity. I don't... We have such a massive issue in the world today about identity Mm, to the point that people don't even know what gender they are anymore. You are not identified by your gender. You are not. Don't make that the ultimate. You are not identified by your age. Don't make that the ultimate. It's part of who you are, yes. You are identified by being in Christ. And whatever is true of Him becomes true of you. And you, corporate, we're one body. It's not me and my quiet time with Jesus. We are one body with Jesus. So let's apply that to us today and rethink our own identity. Where do I find my value? Is it in my job? Am I trying to work hard to prove to somebody that I am somebody? Am I trying to prove it to myself? Am I trying to be a good parent? Because if I'm not a good mother, then what am I? Or do I start from the point of, I am in Christ. There's now no more Jew or Greek, male or female. You see, it's, that, it gets so corrupted. Today, there's no, no more male and female means you can choose what you want to be. It's so corrupted. When, when Jesus tells us there's no more male and female, it means that's secondary because we're in Christ. There's no more young and old. There's no more new Christian and mature Christian, (laughs) seasoned Christian. There's no more church planters and church joiners. We're one body. Let's remember that. Our identity has changed. And as such, our community has changed. We're not excluded anymore. Now, the Old Testament, we don't read the story of the Old Testament, the story of the Hebrew Bible as, oh, that's Israel failing. I'm so glad I'm not them. We've been adopted. Anyone who believes in Christ, anyone who believes in this God, who trusts Him, have been adopted. We're not, that's our family story. That's why Paul can say, and Jesus can say, Abraham is our father. Because that's not just abstract, that's true. We've been adopted into this family. It is our family. And so we can learn from that. And we're part of the story now, which is amazing news. That's why it's called the good news. That's why it's called the gospel. And so our purpose also changes. Our purpose is not just here to, to live out our, how many years we have to just try and, you know, eat, drink and be happy and try and find happiness for ourselves. 
because that, that's, that's what the world runs after. Sure. It's trying to be happy because there's no other purpose. We have a greater purpose and we can be a part of this thing with Jesus. We can get to partner with God. That is an amazing message that really needs to take root in our hearts. We're not here for nothing. We have been set apart in Christ. And that's why this letter will speak to us as well today. So that because we have been set apart, the Greek word for that is the holy ones. We are the holy ones. That's been said. Holy doesn't mean moral. It doesn't mean you're like a good person. That's, that's like saying a, a good Christian goes to church. That's not, that's not what moral, that's not what holy means. Holy doesn't mean you get everything right. Definitely doesn't. Holy means, this is the word that God used for Israel. Remember at the beginning, he set apart Israel as a holy nation, set apart nation with a relationship to God. And we as the church get to be now a holy, set apart people. And that's why Paul introduces this letter Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints. Saints means holy ones. That has been co-opted to mean something totally different, something super, super religious in a, in a Catholic sense. But he's writing to us. He's writing to the holy ones. That's part of his body now, to the set-apart ones, to the saints. So every time you read saints or sing all the saints and angels, that's us. We are set apart. We've got a mission. We've got a purpose, identity, community, and mission. So to all the saints who are in Trinity Central and are faithful, are trusting in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd encourage you as we go through this series, read through this letter a couple of times, even if you don't understand everything. Read through, even if you just read chapters 1 to 3 takes five minutes of your time. Just let it start working in you. Let it start taking root as we go forward. And this series will really mean something for you and you'll see a change in your heart and you'll see a change in your identity, in your community and in your purpose. Amen. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we can start as a church to read a new letter that's perhaps new for some of us, but... It is a letter that you wrote to your early church and you wrote it to the saints back then and we can, we can learn, still learn from it today. We can learn about the division that has been breached, bridged. And I pray that through this letter that we would have a deeper understanding of what it means to be the called out ones what it means to be the set-apart ones, to, what it means to be the holy ones, and what is that hope that drives everything, that gives us the purpose. Lord, give us a richer understanding of the inheritance of this new creation that burst forth at the resurrection. The thing that we are hoping for, this new life in you, Christ. And Holy Spirit, I pray that your power would flow through this church. This week, as we are confronted with things of the world, that your power would strengthen us 
and that we would grow in the knowledge of how deep and wide and high your love is for us. That we get to be called out once, set apart once in your kingdom. Amen.